Would you open your Bibles, uh, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're continuing uh, to look today at the household codes, uh, which talk about our relationship to one another within the body of Christ in various contexts, parents and children. Uh, This morning we talked about uh, masters and servants or employers and employees And this evening, we're looking at the relationship within marriage between husband and wife. So Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body But he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Pray with me. Father, as we come to the close of this day, we pray that your spirit would work by and with the word to renew our vision of the loveliness of Christ and his sacrificial love for his body, the church, that that understanding of his mercy and grace would fill us in every relationship in which we enter upon, whether that be marriage or uh, relationships with our children or with co-workers. Father, would you be pleased to make us into the likeness of your Son through the work of your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why didn't anybody tell us about the toothpaste? Kathy and I had dated all four years at Wheaton. We thought we knew each other as well as two young people could possibly know one another. Uh, We went through premarital counseling. Honestly, I don't remember a whole lot. The budget was kind of terrifying uh, because we didn't have a clue how we were going to make that work. Um, But no one mentioned the toothpaste. And I kid you not, it was on the honeymoon that she looked at me and said, you squeeze it in the middle? What is wrong with you? Right? I came from a family that squeeze it with gusto, you know, and 
hang the loss of the bit of toothpaste. Her family would carefully, they even had little tools that they would put on the end of the tube, roll the toothpaste up so as to maximize every single bit. And this was a problem from the very beginning. Um, it's not unusual, is it, that we get confused when we think about what it means to be married. Just last week, I met with a couple that I married back in December. Uh, it was a six-month checkup, but also for the first time in 31 years, never had this happen before, uh, the Hamilton County clerk had misspelled the middle name of the bride on the marriage license, and none of us had caught it uh, until they tried to get a joint bank account. And uh, so I had to, to re-execute uh, the marriage license. Don't worry, they were still married. Um, but what was fun was hearing them talk about how their expectations of marriage were so different than the reality. Not, not that it was worse than they had anticipated, but it was just different. They really didn't know each other that well, and they didn't have a clue when they said their vows what they were signing up for. Truth be told, people in the church are ambivalent when it comes to marriage. Um, and there's, there's a good reason for that. Um, I think part of it has to do with the fact that culturally, and I'm not talking about providence and the congregation here, but broadly speaking, within the church in North America and Europe, uh, we have been so shaped by the culture that our rates of divorce are indistinguishable from that of non-Christians. Right? We, we have adopted a secular understanding of what a marriage covenant is, and that's not for our good. Uh, secondly, um, it's, it's fraught with all kinds of landmines. In any congregation, there are going to be single people who are saying, I would love to be married, but God has not given me a partner yet, a life partner. Um, and, and all you folks do is minister to families. What, what is my role? Where do I fit in? How do I serve? as a single member of the body of Christ. And then there are those whose spouses have gone to be with the Lord, um, who remember and still grieve, and those whose marriages were really, really hard, perhaps even abusive. Um, it can be a problem whenever we begin to talk about uh, and by the way, I should mention the PCA, your sister denomination, just released its report on domestic violence in the church. And I commend that to you. It's well thought out, well done, and um, is an issue really for every denomination. How do we understand the role of marriage? And why is it important? And what we're going to see is that Paul reveals that marriage is, if you will, not a metaphor, but a living embodiment and picture of the love that Jesus Christ has for us as his bride, the church. And so whether we are widowed or single um, or divorced or in a marriage, long-standing, we can all learn more of the loveliness of Christ by looking at God's purpose and plan for marriage. And so, uh, just following the pattern of this morning, a word to the church about marriage and its purpose, a word to wives, and a word to husbands. First of all, a word to the church regarding marriage. 
Uh, I, and I wish, you know, I, I mentioned the toothpaste thing, but Kathy and I just celebrated 46 years of marriage last Sunday. And I realized I'm still learning new things about her every day, right? I mean, you would think that would be impossible. We've been around each other now for 50 years. Surely I would know all that there is to know, but that's not true. I'm constantly learning new things that just absolutely astound me and are a blessing to me. Um, Paul says in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the reason I included this verse is that the verb to submit um, is not actually found it is found in the English, but it's not found in the Greek of verse 22. Rather, Paul is setting out a pattern of mutual submission, not mutual subordination, but of mutual submission in the Lord in the context of these various relationships, whether it's at work or between parent and child, or in this case, between husband and wife. And if you want to know what he's driving at, you need only look at Philippians 2. Uh, where Paul writes, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Uh, this verb to submit in the New Testament is a military metaphor of, to arrange under. So you might think of uh, a formation of troops that are um, differentiated by rank under their commanding officer. We are under the king, King Jesus, and he is the Lord and only king of the church. But he has appointed officers to rule in his church. And so we together take vows where we agree that we'll submit uh, to the session of the church. But as believers in Christ, Paul says, we also submit to one another in the sense that we recognize that we all answer to the same Lord. And he has called us to prefer others above ourselves. So it involves humility within the context of authority. Uh, the biblical model of marriage, of course, is found in Genesis chapter 2, and I always love this passage because for some reason, not no one taught me this in seminary. I just sort of came up with it on my own. I like to think that they spoke Kiswahili in the garden. So um, we read in Genesis 2, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. You, you know what the Lord did. He brought all the animals, and it was uh, Adam's job as a vicegerent uh, to name the animals showing dominion. And so he looked at the giraffe and he said, Twiga. Um, and then he looked at the lion and he said, Simba. And he looked at the zebra and he said, Punda Malia. And he looked at the rhinoceros and he said, Kiboko. And he looked, or rather, Kifaru. And he looked at the hippopotamus and he said, Kiboko. And then he looked at the golden retriever and said, Practically perfect, but. No, right? Very cuddly, but not quite what I had in mind. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. 
Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, This now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called Isha, woman, for she was taken out of man, Ish. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. There, the, the idea is that they were totally free in their intimacy, right? Um, in, in revealing transparently who each of them was. Uh, there was no fear in this relationship. The Lord said, I will make a helper corresponding to him. Man and woman, equal in value and in dignity, before the Lord, with different gifts, complementing one another, creating a synergy which was far greater than the sum of the individual parts. That was the plan. One man, one woman, mutually faithful for life. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 24, section 2. Uh, talks about the unitive purpose of marriage. It's a covenant of companionship. Um, Some marriages are not blessed with children. That does not make them any less uh, valuable before the Lord, right? It's a covenant of companionship. It's not good uh, for man to be alone. A helper corresponding. Um, But... Richard Pratt says it also affords the opportunity, and the Confession of Faith um, uh, speaks to this, of multiplying redeemed images of God. All of these children. Do you realize that your church is chock-a-block full of kids? I mean, it really is astounding. If you visit around churches, which I get to do, uh, to see how many youngsters you all have. And they're growing up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and they're the future of the church. And that is so thrilling and so exciting. And that's one of the purposes of marriage. And then preventing uncleanliness, not just in the sense of giving um, an opportunity for husband and wife to come together, but in the sense that marriage is one of the primary ways, beloved, that God sanctifies us, iron sharpening iron, uh, making us into the men and women he wants us to be. Tim Keller said this, when you got married, your spouse, um, when you get married, your spouse is a big truck driving right through your heart. This situation doesn't create your weaknesses, but it reveals them. It's in the warp and the woof of the fabric of daily life together, each for the other, as Brian and Kathy Chapel say that we see the areas of our lives that need the Holy Spirit's work powerfully in sanctification to change us into uh, the men and women who resemble the Lord Jesus. Now, why am I going over all this? I, I know you know this. Because I think our culture, um, look, I mean, here's the simple reality. Uh, and I'm talking from my context of teaching college kids who are in church for an hour on Sunday morning, an hour on Sunday evening, hopefully, maybe Sunday school, probably not prayer meeting during the week, maybe a Bible study, and then they are on 
social media on their devices some eight or nine hours a day. Which type of socialization do you think is having the most impact? Right? It's, it's the world that is shaping, in large degree, the next generation's understanding of marriage. And beloved, let's not be misdirected. Let's stand up. Those of us that are married, let's take this seriously. And those who are not married, take seriously your responsibility to help those who are. That we would stand for godly Christian marriages that are God-honoring and Christ-honoring and Holy Spirit-empowered in these days uh, of such confusion in the culture at large. Well, so Paul then turns to a discussion of responsibilities between these two complementary persons within the context of marriage. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Submit, meaning uh, to, again, um, not be a doormat, not um, submit to physical or emotional abuse, but to voluntarily and, um, and for you Greek geeks out there, it's the middle voice. So it's a voluntary submission, Paul speaks of in verse 21. To one's lover, to one's husband, to one's God-given life partner. A voluntary submission that is to take place. Um, within that context, it's free, it's voluntary. And it's to be in all spheres of life, in everything. Um, But recognize, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And this is our first clue, isn't it? That something more important is going on here. Rooted in the creation order, headship doesn't simply mean source. It doesn't just mean that the woman came from the man but that God has assigned a responsibility to the husband for the spiritual well-being and health of the marriage. I used to tell um, men in marriage counseling situations, wherever your marriage is, you let it there, right? Because that's true. And the wife submits to her husband, not because he has earned that, Right? Because it's an office that he bears, one for which he will give account. But because by submitting to her husband and honoring him, she is submitting to the Lord and honoring Jesus. Just as when children obey their parents, they are honoring the Lord by honoring their mother and father. This is a qualified obedience. It does not extend to submitting to ungodly demands or requests or as I said, to abusive behavior. Um, and pray for your sessions because they often are called upon uh, to deal with marriages which are far from healthy. And it can be really hard uh, to get down in the trenches with a couple whose life is coming apart and try and help by God's grace to bring reconciliation and healing and bring them to a healthy place. A free, voluntary submission. Um, as to the Lord, for the Lord's sake, praying that the Lord would be glorified and giving to the husband both respect 
for the office that he holds and the account he will have to give and encouragement, respect and encouragement as he carries out the duties assigned to him within the marriage relationship. Uh, I neglected to mention this morning one of the biggest problems caused by the fall, right? Um, When it comes to our work, and it has to do with those of us that wrestle with an over-idolization of work, workaholics, people that devote themselves uh, to their work, devoting the Lord, or rather, um, failing to uh, devote themselves fully to the Lord and failing to fully devote themselves uh, to their families. And it's a big, big problem. Um, and I'll, I'll just be upfront and honest. Um, as a young attorney, I was incredibly driven. That carried on when I went to seminary. My last year of seminary, I was working full-time at a law firm. I was doing two full-time degrees at the seminary, and I was working 20 hours a week as a an assistant to the pastor. And if you ask me when I slept, well, I didn't sleep much, and that never ends well. Uh, if you were to talk to my kids who are now in their late 30s, they would tell you that I wasn't around much during that time. And it wasn't until Kathy and I went to Mission to the World to be examined as candidates that the uh, consulting psychologist looked at me, and in the first thing that he said to me in the interview, he said, you're about to drive your marriage off a cliff. And I said, what are you talking about? You don't know anything about me. He said, no, I don't, but your wife does. And I just talked to her for half an hour. And it was as if the Lord grabbed a hold of me by the shirt collar and shook me and said, wake up. You are, under the pretense of serving me, right, destroying your family. And by the way, your relationship with me. And God was gracious and he was good. Kathy forgave me. He healed our relationship. She stopped checking my ID when I came home. Um, and, uh, and I learned, I learned how dangerous that is. Well, I was encouraged in a very weird sort of way to read in Tim Keller's The Meaning of Mary's that this happened to him. He was planning a church in Manhattan, the church that would later become Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And he had told Kathy that for three years, it was going to be kind of crazy. Would she bear with him? And she said, yes, three years and not a day more. And the three years came and went, and he continued to work 70-hour weeks. And so one afternoon, he came, well, rather, actually, it was, um, it was evening. He came home late, and he heard the sound of smashing dishware. And he went out on the balcony, and Kathy was sitting on the balcony with their wedding china and a hammer, right? And she looked at me and said, this is what you're doing to our marriage. Bam! Smashed a plate. She said, you, you have continued to work uh, in such a way that we have no time together. You're, you're not present. Uh, you're not fulfilling your responsibility to love me as Christ loved the church. This is what you're doing to me. Smash. And uh, Tim said that it shook him to his very core. And he realized right then that he needed to repent, believe the gospel, and change his ways. And then Kathy smiled and said, oh, I lost the, uh, the cups to these, uh, so they were orphans. I, w- I was really hoping that you would respond before I had to start on the good stuff. But here's the point, right? Submitting doesn't mean that you cannot hold one another to account. 
call one another to discipleship, right? Now, uh, Paul then speaks about the responsibilities of husbands. And oddly, um, or not, he is spending most of his time. His word to, to wives is quite brief. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And brothers, if that doesn't shake you to your core and you cry out, Lord, have mercy, then you're not paying attention. This isn't hard. This isn't difficult. This is impossible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To love our spouses, to love anyone as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Paul tells us in that Christological hymn in Philippians 2, by making himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, dying on the cross in our place, a self-sacrificial giving of oneself. Paul says, that's what I'm calling you to do to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word. And there's a lot of debate among commentators about what this reference is. Um, Is this talking about baptism? No, probably not. Is it talking about the Jewish practice of bridal baptism? Maybe. But what's clear is that the husband's job uh, is, as Brian Chappell says, to bring glory to the Lord by glorifying the wife communicating forgiveness, confirming beauty while prioritizing partnership and providing care and cherishing grace and leading her by godly nurture. To love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Isn't it surprising? He didn't say, exercise your headship. Let your spouse know who's in charge. He said, lay down your life for your spouse, for your wife, in order that she might be holy, cleansed by washing with water through the word, presenting her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, to cherish and to nurture. I I don't like the NIV here, sorry, uh, to the Palmer family, because I I love the work that um, your dad did on on the NIV. I think uh, the NIV 84 is amazing. But uh, the NIV, at least in this passage, says feeds and cares. That's an accurate rendition of the Greek. But I think that the old King James of nourish and cherish gets at the idea even better, right? It's, It's an intentional, deliberate commitment to have the other one flourish before your very eyes. Uh, Husbands, that means that we are to empower our wives to use their God-given gifts to the glory of Jesus Christ and to encourage them and support them. And yes, watch the children Um, and change diapers when called upon and to do all the things that we can do 
so that our wives grow into the fullness of their calling before the Lord. We are to feed and care for our wife just as we would our own body, just as Christ does the church. And at times, that will require great sacrifice. It will require tears and prayer. Um, Robertson McQuilkin, I don't know if you know that name, he was the president of Columbia International University. He was at the height of his career as a university president. He had just taken it from Columbia Bible College and graduate school uh, to a Christian university status. And eight years before the time that he had intended to retire, his wife Muriel was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He writes about this in his book, A Promise Kept. And he astounded the Christian world by resigning um, from his post at, at Columbia so that he could stay home and care for Muriel. He would have to sometimes wash her feet uh, because she would wander off barefoot alone and cut her feet on um, glass and debris on the road. And he washed her feet both literally and figuratively. When somebody was interviewing him, they said, how could you walk away from all that success and all of that influence and all of that strategic importance to the kingdom to do this? He said, because I made a promise on the day we were married that I would love her as Christ loved the church and I'm going to keep it by God's grace. He said, I don't have to care for her. I get to. Uh, he came and spoke at the church where I was on pastoral staff uh, back in uh, the early 2000s and um, spoke at our missions conference. Um, and I, I got to, to meet him for lunch and take him to the airport. And I said, so what, what were you doing this morning before I got here? He said, thinking about precious memories, right? Just reflecting on their life together, on all the things God had given them. Look, are there, are there struggles in our marriages? Of course. We are fallen, broken human beings, redeemed by God's grace. And God isn't finished with any of us yet. But by committing ourselves to love one another as Christ has loved us, the wife um, showing respect and giving encouragement as she submits within the marriage relationship. It doesn't, doesn't mean she isn't involved in making leadership decisions. The, the scripture points towards a partnership, a complementarity. Uh, it's the word azer, helper, with the Hebrew letter kath, which has a sense of corresponding to him. That partnership, that complementary synergy that is called to be. And the husband, uh, not throwing his weight around, but laying down his life in a thousand little ways each and every day for the sake of the Savior. May God give us the ability, uh, for those of us that are married, to live out the reality of the relationship between Jesus and the church. And for those who are single, uh, whether by choice or not, uh, to see the great love wherewith their husband, Jesus Christ, has loved them. Pray with me. Father, would you have mercy on us? Would you enable us to do what we cannot in our own strength do, uh, but to live as faithful men and women, submitting to one another as we submit to you, the king and head of the church, 
Father, that within our marriage relationships, we would have a sacrificial servanthood that would characterize our relationships, that we would move towards one another, not away, that we would not demean each other by the things that we say or the actions we take, but rather we would nourish and encourage and respect and cherish one another for all the days you give us until you call us home. Lord, may it be so through the power and work of your spirit, we pray in Christ's name.